Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. Uh, today is another special episode because I'm here in Munich in the office of Peter Adamson who you might know from the History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps podcast. And he's also a a philosophy professor at LMU University in Munich. So thank you very much for for actually letting me be here. My pleasure. Welcome to Munich, by the way. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) It's it's kind of my old hometown, so it's good good to be back. So today we'll talk about Al-Razi and also Al-Farabi. Now, Al-Razi, I've done a show on and I've talked about before. Al-Farabi is completely new to the show. So maybe let's let's start with Al-Razi. So who, who was he? When did he live? So he lived in the 9th and 10th centuries AD. He died in 925. And he's one of the most controversial and I think poorly understood philosophers of the early Islamic period. Mm-hmm. He is basically a doctor. And that's yeah. an important thing yeah. to remember about him. Most of the works we have from him are medical works. Mm-hmm. And he, as a kind of maybe sideline, had two other hobbies, you might mm-hmm. say. But I think his day job was medicine. Yep. The hobbies are philosophy and alchemy. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things about him is that we basically have three bodies of writing from him, which you would never know were by the same guy, except for occasional okay. yeah. points of contact. But seeing how they link up is quite difficult. And in fact, I'm writing a book about him. Mm-hmm. And one of the goals of the book is to try to understand how we can bring these very various texts into one or into a picture of one thinker. So, When, when are you going to publish your book? Can we plug it already or is oh, it too, too early? No, no? I, I, I'm still writing it. So I, okay. I'm hoping to finish it in the coming year. Uh-huh. So. But I've covered him in the podcast. So yep. you can plug that in. Bit. Okay. So he writes on he writes on medicine, he writes on alchemy, and he wrote on philosophy. Unfortunately, the philosophical works are almost completely lost. Okay. Which means that when we work on his philosophical ideas, which is mostly what I'm doing as mm-hmm. I'm writing about him, we're looking at basically quotations of him or more likely uh, kind of explanations or testimonies of what he said given by other authors who are almost always very hostile. Mm-hmm. So a typical thing mm-hmm. would be, the heretic Arazi said, right. blah, blah, yeah. blah. Or they might just call him the heretic. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to know who that means. And so one interesting question is, why was his philosophy considered to be heretical or so controversial? And then another interesting question is, what might these philosophical ideas have to do with his medical output which is by far mostly what we have from him. Mm-hmm. And then a third question is, uh, how does alchemy fit into the overall mm-hmm. picture? And um, there's been effectively no research on that at all, mm-hmm. as far as I know. Interesting. So I'm just starting to think about uh-huh. it, and I might be able to say more in a few months. I've done more work on it. I think we know enough about the physics that he presented in his philosophical works to kind of imagine how he might have thought alchemy related to Mm -hmm. this philosophical account of the universe he gives, which is really interesting. 
Um, and also, I think we can see some connections between his medical works and alchemy, not so much in the content of mm-hmm. both, but in the way that he approaches writing about alchemy. Okay, yeah. And in fact, the uh, scholar who's really worked on this more than anyone else uh, in German, Julius Ruska, pointed this out, that the the kind of strategy he brings mm-hmm. to medical writing fits the way he writes about alchemy mm-hmm. as well. Interesting, yeah. And what was his, because he, he had a reputation in the West also, and was that mostly because of his medical writings? Or? Uh, basically exclusively, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, or at least maybe they referred to him as an alchemist as well. You probably know that better than I do. But um, they don't know anything about his philosophy in the mm-hmm. Latin tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, they, however, know a lot about him as a medical author. And for them, from the Islamic tradition, there are two medical thinkers who loom above everyone else. Razi, mm-hmm. who was known as Razis, with an H, yeah, yeah. and Avicenna, who mm-hmm. is both the most important figure in the medical tradition in Islam and also the greatest philosopher from the Islamic. So he was a pretty impressive guy. Yeah, he comes up a lot. I'll, yeah, I'll probably have to uh, tackle tackle him at one point and do a show on him, but yeah. not yet. So still worth, a lot of reading it. to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah I gave yeah. him, yeah. I think, five episodes in my podcast. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ah, oh, yeah. I'll have to listen to that. I can just cheat. That's yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Uh, right. So maybe I should tell you a little bit about this uh, notorious system that he developed, because that's, I think, kind of the basis for is everything else that why he, he says. Why he was called the heretic? Or this is... Yes. Or, well, there's maybe two reasons why mm-hmm. he's called the heretic. Um, and... This has something to do with the sources we have that are attacking him. Um, so they claim that he did two things that were arguably heretical or at least mm-hmm. surprising. One is that he supposedly denied the validity of prophecy. So uh-huh. he said Muhammad or anyone else who claims to be a prophet is actually a charlatan, supposedly. This mm-hmm. right in Islamic yep. uh, 10th century Persia and Iraq. That's where mm-hmm. he lived. Mm-hmm. So a little bit surprising, to mm-hmm. say the least. Actually, in my work on him, I'm arguing that that's not what he said and that they're distorting his view. Okay, yeah. That's not really relevant to alchemy, mm-hmm. though. So maybe we can yeah, But interesting, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the other thing that is more relevant is that he has this whole cosmology, which mm-hmm. actually, to be honest, might be enough to call him heretical, depending on where you think the bounds of heresy are. So in this cosmological picture, he invokes five eternal principles. Mm-hmm. One of them is God, as mm-hmm. you would expect. And then the potentially heretical part is that there's four more principles. Mm-hmm. So there's not okay. just God. There's soul, mm-hmm. matter, mm-hmm. time, and place. And he presents soul, matter, time, and place as other principles that aren't on the same level as God necessarily, mm-hmm. but have to always be there such that if they weren't there, God would not have been able to create a universe. For example, God can't create a universe without there being some matter to create it out of. Okay, yeah. And oh, so, so he has kind of a, a proto-conservation of matter uh, yeah, theory in actually, a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Although, I mean, in, that, in some sense, that's not that new because a lot of ancient philosophers like Aristotle had argued that you can't create something from nothing. You have to okay, create it from yeah. some kind of pre-existing matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... In fact, it's not clear that there's conservation, right? Because it's not obvious that it's the same quantity. Right, yeah. It's just that there has just to be in, something. In a much vaguer term. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. 
Um, in fact, he does think it has to be the same quantity, though. So mm-hmm. okay. your yeah. guess is uh-huh. better for Razi than it might be in some other cases. So um, you have to have matter. It has to be somewhere already. Mm-hmm. Or or actually, the way Razi puts it is that when the cosmos comes to be, there has to be somewhere for God to put it. Mm-hmm. And there has to be a time at which he can create this universe. Mm-hmm. And then he brings in the soul for a really amazingly interesting reason, which is that he seems to think it would be better if the universe didn't exist because the universe is so full of suffering and pain, which I guess is something he focused on because of his work as a doctor. who's surrounded mm-hmm. by sick yeah. and un- okay. unhappy people. Yeah. And he thought basically this world leaves a lot to be desired. A perfectly wise creator wouldn't have created a world like this. Mm-hmm. So why is it here? Mm-hmm. And his answer is that at some point there were the soul which was an unwise immaterial principle became responsible for uh, getting associated with matter in some way. And the results would have been completely disastrous because Mm -hmm. all chaos and all hell would have broken loose basically. Mm -hmm. But God steps in and turns the process in a better way. And so he basically gives God the responsibility for the good things about the universe and gives Mm -hmm. soul the responsibility for the bad things about the universe. Interesting. Yeah. So you can't, he basically thinks you can't make a perfect universe out of matter. Mm -hmm. And so it'd be a better idea not to try, Mm -hmm. but because the soul sort of fell into matter. Because it happened. Yeah. Yeah, Because it happened. So there are actually links here to some things you've covered in the podcast before. So Neoplatonism, Mm -hmm. right? The soul having this relationship to matter and it should turn away and escape from matter. That's very Mm -hmm. Razian as well, but also Mm -hmm. Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. So Gnostics, the Gnostics had this idea that, um, there was either an evil god or maybe an unwise god or divine principle which is responsible for creating a physical universe and the physical universe is then a kind of prison from which the soul needs to escape mm-hmm. and Razi uh, maybe is influenced here by Gnostic ideas through some channel or other or maybe through Platonists tradition but anyway he, he shares this idea so he thinks that the physical universe is effectively the product of an unwise decision on the part of the soul and then individual souls who come on the scene once soul with a capital s is connected with matter the individual soul's responsibility and task is to escape from matter Mm -hmm. he thinks you can do that with philosophy interesting yeah so philosophy teaches you to ignore the body turn away from it and Mm -hmm. towards the soul's proper sphere which is the intelligible divine world mm-hmm. okay i guess one thing i'm curious about is what was innovative of al-razi so what i mean what what was kind of brand new to him that that maybe wasn't thought yeah. of before or well i mean in a way almost everything i just said is is new yeah so if you think about what else is going on in the philosophical scene of the time he's a rough contemporary of al-farabi mm-hmm. we can talk about it a bit more when we get on to alchemy um, and Farabi and some other philosophers of the day are highly Aristotelian thinkers mm-hmm. who are also drawing on the Platonist tradition. Or if you think about uh, another philosopher who's earlier, Al-Kindi, mm-hmm. he's, again, someone who's drawing on Plato and Aristotle and combining Platonism and Aristotelianism in pretty much the way that it was going on in late antiquity. So you do get an attempt in these figures also to combine that kind of platonic Aristotelian system with Islam, 
mm-hmm. as you might imagine. Um, you also get Christian philosophers around the same time writing in Arabic in the Islamic mm-hmm. world who use Aristotle to defend the doctrine of the Trinity like that. But basically, when it comes to philosophy, you're talking about some, a, a kind of version of the Platonized Aristotelianism or Aristotelianized Platonism that's been familiar from late antiquity, which we kind of talked about when we looked at Neoplatonism. Mm-hmm. Whereas Razi looks completely different, right? So there's five principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's this invocation of eternity of things other than God, mm-hmm. which is um, at least controversial, if not heretical, and so on and so forth. So in some ways, this actually might even seem to be almost coming out of nowhere, even if mm-hmm. it kind of rings Platonist and mm-hmm. Gnostic bells. I have a completely different take on it, though, yeah. which is that I think you can understand what Razi is doing much better if you, again, remember that he's a doctor. Right. So because he's steeped in the medical literature, he sees Greek philosophy through a certain lens, and the lens is named Galen. Yes, right. Galen's the most important figure in probably the entire history of medicine, mm-hmm. but certainly the, the history of um, ancient medicine. Mm-hmm. And his works were voluminously translated into Arabic. So in terms of like science and philosophy, the philosophers, or the sorry, the authors who are translated most from Greek into Arabic are Aristotle and Galen. Mm-hmm. And Razi knows Galen really, really well Mm -hmm. and is very interested in him. He draws on Galen extensively in his medical writings, and he also wrote a work called Shukuk ala Jalinus, which Mm -hmm. means Doubts About Galen, where he finds passages in Galen to criticize, and he goes Mm -hmm. through them. So, And is he one of the first to do that? I mean, Galen's almost like sacrosanct. You don't... Yeah, absolutely. That's very innovative and unusual. And in fact, he says at the beginning of that text that it might seem like a shocking or irreverent mm-hmm. thing to do. And mm-hmm. he points out that Galen was a pretty irreverent character himself. Mm-hmm. And he basically says, I'm doing to Galen what Galen did to his yep. own predecessors yep. and what Galen would want me to do to him. Uh-huh. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So he has this uh-huh. idea of kind of scientific progress that happens mm-hmm. through criticizing your predecessors. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, because he's so steeped in the works of Galen, his take on Greek philosophy is very much like Galen's take on Greek philosophy. And Galen wasn't an Aristotelian, mm-hmm. and Galen wasn't a Neoplatonist. He lived in mm-hmm. the 2nd century AD, so before Plotinus, the founder mm-hmm. of Neoplatonism. And what Galen does when he talks about philosophy is he draws mostly on Plato and argues that Plato can be sort of harmonized with his own most important medical authority, who is Hippocrates. In fact, he even wrote a treatise called On the Doctrines of Plato and Hippocrates, where he shows that they agree about everything. And the most important dialogue that Plato wrote from Galen's point of view is the Timaeus, because the Timaeus has a whole section on the human body and anatomy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Galen wrote a commentary on it, which is lost, except for quotations in Mm -hmm. later Greek and in Arabic, and one Mm -hmm. of our major sources is Razi. Uh So Razi actually quotes the commentary Uh and um, seems to know the Timaeus through Galen. And it's really the Timaeus that is providing Razi with a lot of the inspiration for his ideas, because in the Timaeus, um, the text tells us that the world was created out of pre-existing matter by a demiurge or god mm-hmm. who also put a soul into the body mm-hmm. of the world. And it has some things to say about time, which also seem to lie behind Razi's mm-hmm. writings about time. So I've, a lot of what I'm saying in my writing about Razi 
is uh, to argue that he gets his five principle theory sort of as a version of what he took to be Plato's theory in the Timaeus, reading him through Galen. And in fact, there's some good evidence for this. It's not just me guessing. Sure. Because yeah. one of the hostile authors who talks about Razi says that he met Razi in person mm-hmm. and they argued about the theory. And Razi is quoted in that account as saying that his theory is basically the view of Plato, but with some improvements. Mm-hmm. So he acknowledges yeah. the Platonic yeah. uh, sources of it explicitly. Okay, and, and what are some examples where he really disagrees with Galen? Oh, okay, well, there's a lot. So he disagrees yeah. with him about a whole range of things in medicine. For example, Galen uh, talked about the pulse mm-hmm. and how one of the most important diagnostic tools you can use as a doctor is to take someone's pulse and classify which kind of pulse it is. And he has names for all these different okay, kinds of yeah. pulse, like rhythms, mm-hmm. different rhythms of the pulse. And Razi says that it's impossible to discern these kind of differences by taking someone's pulse unless you're superhuman. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he's sort of sarcastic about it. And he says, well, maybe Galen could tell the difference, but I can't. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, Interesting. Uh, so he says that. He, But a lot of what he does actually is to look at criticisms that Galen has made of other authors and say that the criticisms don't rise to the level or standard that Galen applies to other people. Mm-hmm. So Galen's always complaining that people like Aristotle and the Stoics, Aristotle and the Stoics would argue rhetorically, like give right. symbolic yeah. versions of their... And uh, Razi says that Galen does the same thing when he attacks them. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, he criticizes even some things that Galen says against the Stoics, where Razi agrees with Galen, for example, that our body is steered from our our brain mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. our heart, as the Stoics yep. thought. He thinks Galen's right about that, but he also thinks that some of Galen's arguments against uh, the Stoics are wrong. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's an example in on doubts about Galen, which brings us closer to what we're most interested in, which is alchemy. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that happens in doubts about Galen, and I discovered this only recently, actually, is there's a passage where Galen attacked theories of atomism okay and he gave an argument against this which razi thinks is a terrible argument mm-hmm. and razi says well part of the problem here is that galen's attacking a version of atomism which is not the best version of atomism the best version is the one we find in plato and he basically goes through the story about geometrical atomism mm-hmm. where think the elements are made of triangles mm-hmm. which we talked about in the neoplatonist yep. episode and says that huh. um this is a much better theory and mm-hmm. it's one that would escape Galen's critique. Mm-hmm. And that's particularly interesting to us because we happen to know from other reports about Galen's five principle theory that this eternal matter that he talks about in his theory was conceived of as atomic. Mm-hmm. He thought that what's underlying a physical body is atoms floating around in a void. Mm-hmm. And you would get the difference between the four standard elements, air, earth, fire, and water, mm-hmm. because of different degrees of density. So if you have a certain volume, like let's say you have a sort of one liter shaped mm-hmm. or size volume of empty void, mm-hmm. then if it's really packed with atoms, that would be earth. Mm-hmm. And if there's hardly any atoms in it, that would be fire. Mm-hmm. Um, if there were no atoms in it, that would be void. But yeah. 
Razi thinks that the physical universe doesn't have any areas of just empty space in it. Mm-hmm. He does, however, think there's empty void beyond the physical universe. Mm-hmm. He thinks there's infinite void in all directions around the universe, which mm-hmm. is something the Stoics thought, actually, as well. Uh-huh. Okay. So he, interestingly, sort of like we think today, believes that the density of a body uh, is a function of how tightly packed the the invisible mm-hmm. atomic level mm-hmm. particles are in it. And he further thinks that the macroscopic or observable properties of something, like, for example, the heat of fire, the coldness of Earth, he thinks that that can be explained by referring to the atomic density. Um, it's not exactly clear how that's supposed to work, by the way. Yeah, but interesting. Yeah. So, okay, so then the nice thing about this is that it would give us at least a guess as to what he might think is going on in alchemy. And I should hasten to say that I don't have a passage in mind where he does this, where he connects Mm -hmm. the two theories, but I'm just saying this is what he sort of ought to say. Yeah. And if I'm lucky, I'll find a place where he does say it at some Uh point. So uh, what he does in his alchemical works is he similarly, as in physics where you start from some elements, he starts from some very basic uh, substances like salt, Mm -hmm. for example. And you, I mean, you've covered this before, the kind of basic elemental substances. And he's pretty traditional in this this regard. What I would imagine he thinks is going on when you use alchemical processes to turn one substance into another is that you're breaking things down or manipulating their atomic, Mm -hmm. right? Because in theory, at least, it might be that the way the atoms are either arranged or the density of the atoms in, say a certain volume of mercury mm-hmm. might be giving rise to the properties of the mercury. And much as Plato had said that you could turn, for example, water into air by reconfiguring the triangular mm-hmm. atoms and then getting different molecules, mm-hmm. i.e. different platonic solids, in just the same way, Razi might think that if you change the atomic structure of a body, then you'll get mm-hmm. a different macroscopic substance and in principle that would give you an explanation of why alchemy is possible Mm -hmm. so that that makes sense yeah i mean all the all the alchemical recipes are generally you break something down build it back up so absolutely right the specifics are probably always different but right and there's something that's kind of tantalizing here which is that we know razi wrote works defending the possibility of alchemy Mm -hmm. so i mentioned earlier there was this philosopher named Akindi, who Mm -hmm. was a generation or two before Razi. He died in around 870 or just after 870. And he attacked alchemy in a work that's lost. Mm -hmm. Razi wrote a response in a work that's also lost. But in this lost answer to a lost criticism, he defended the possibility of alchemy and in another work, which is probably a different text, mm-hmm. he, he it, again, it's lost, but the title is um, Alchemy is an Art Which is Closer to Existence Than to Impossibility. <laughs> so what he's saying there with yeah. the title, apparently, is that um, it's at least plausible mm-hmm. that this could happen. Now, we don't have uh, any works, at least none that I've seen, where he actually gets into the theory about how mm-hmm. alchemy can be defended. Yeah. He just tells you how to do it. Mm-hmm. And the way he tell, what he says about it is interesting. We can come back to that. But for a kind of contemporary view of the 
issue. I thought it might be interesting to mention Al-Farabi, mm-hmm. the other philosopher you mentioned at the top of the episode. So Farabi was basically a professional Aristotelian, very different from Razi, mm-hmm. because he's really looking back to the late ancient tradition of commenting on Aristotle. He wrote commentaries on Aristotle himself, especially on Aristotle's logical works. And then he wrote his own works, um, not just commentaries, but works trying to use Greek ideas to explain like political theory and metaphysics and all sorts okay, of issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's a very kind of, he's very important and very, in some ways, very mainstream Aristotelian philosopher. So we have a t- short treatise of him, which is, as far as I know, the earliest explicit theoretical defense of, or not defense, but discussion of whether alchemy is possible mm-hmm. that we have in Arabic. So it's a really interesting okay. little treatise. Yeah. It's never been translated, unfortunately. Uh, we'll get on it. I have actually <laughs> have a draft translation of it, but I okay, published well. it. So, um, so <laughs> what he does here is he says, okay, is alchemy possible? Yeah. Well, the answer is going to be no. Uh-huh. But before he gets on to saying no, he says... In principle, it's possible mm-hmm. because really all alchemy is is the transformation of any one body into another body. So okay. lead yeah. into gold, let's mm-hmm. say, just for the sake of arguments. So why would you think that's possible if you're an Aristotelian philosopher? Well, think about Aristotle's physics. Aristotle thinks that all bodies are made out of the four elements, air, mm-hmm. earth, fire, and water, which go back to Empedocles, a pre-Socratic philosopher. Mm-hmm. These four elements are, and this is something I mentioned in the episode we did on Neoplatonism, these four elements are nothing more than pure potentiality, which is matter, mm-hmm. that has the four qualities, heat, cold, moisture, mm-hmm. and dryness. And Aristotle explicitly says in his works on physics, and in particular what you might call his work on chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, which is on generation and corruption, mm-hmm. He explicitly says that all four elements can be transformed one into another. Mm-hmm. So, in principle, it seems inescapable within the Aristotelian system that you could start with any body, do something to it, and get another body at the end, mm-hmm. right? Because ultimately, it's only made of constituents that can be made into any other constituent, right? Because you mm-hmm. can break it down into the four elements and then turn each of those elements into another element, right? Mm-hmm. But then he denies that it's possible in principle, mm-hmm. uh, basically because it's just comp- too complicated, right? So you can't turn cows into pineapples and pineapples mm-hmm. into giraffes, right? And he thinks that uh, light and gold are not similar enough to transform into one another. And he also thinks that the uh, the way that alchemists talk about this is kind of silly, mm-hmm. right? But in- and it's interesting, by the way, to compare what he says here to another little treatise that's hardly been studied either, which is about astrology. And with astrology, he's much less polite. He doesn't say, oh, this is potentially possible, but it doesn't really look like we could do it in fact. Mm -hmm. He just makes fun of them and says this is all completely absurd. So he he seems to think that alchemy is much closer to being a plausible science than astrology, which is actually a minority view among philosophers of the time, like Kendi was an astrologer, for Mm -hmm. example. Mm Mm-hmm. So my guess, therefore, is that Razi would have said something like that. Mm-hmm. So what he could have said, at least given his theory, is, well, look, all, this is something I've already said, but just to spell it out, all bodies are made of atoms, and 
you know, you can change where at, how atoms are configured or the density of atoms in a given space. Mm -hmm. So you should be able to change anything into anything. So why not? Why not alchemy? And in fact, um, that's pretty plausible, right? So I, I think in some ways it's more plausible than Farabi's story. So Farabi's story is, well, yeah, you should be able to do this. You just can't. And that's not a very good answer. Yeah. I've read the whole spectrum from, yes, it's possible, and you humans can do it better than nature, to it's possible, but it's so complicated, we'll never figure it out, to it's impossible, not not even in nature. So yeah, Not even or, God or could do it. Or it's possible, but yeah. but you need supernatural help, or, right. you know. So, or only yeah, God yeah. could do it. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Or a demon, maybe. The Inquisition said, yeah, it's possible, but if you're doing it, it's with demons' help. Right. So, yeah. Right. So, <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> if you say you've done it, either you're lying, and that's bad, or you managed it, and a demon helped you. It's even worse. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, right. So, so I think that that if 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 we had a text where Razi said that, that would be great. Mm -hmm. But at least there's kind of room for speculating about how his whole system would hang together at that level, um, which I find quite intriguing. That's interesting. Yeah. So that would maybe be the connection between his alchemical works and his philosophical output. So the fact that he's got this uh, philosophy which involves atomic theory. Mm -hmm. Also, maybe the idea that the soul is trying to escape from the body. So I, I think like a lot of alchemists, he talks in terms of sort of releasing the spirit mm -hmm. within a body. And the, mm -hmm. In fact, they even used the word ruh which means spirit or what in Greek was called pneuma uh, okay. for like yeah. releasing yeah. The, like the core essence of something. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're trying to extract metal from an ore, mm -hmm. what you're trying to do is get the kind of pure stuff out yeah. of it. Because the word quintessence comes up a lot and I'm yeah. not sure. Is that, a, that's also from, is that a Greek concept or? Well, quintessence means fifth substance or essence, right? Yeah. So it's often used to refer to the, um, the, indestructible material out of which aristotle thought the mm -hmm. heavens were made okay but yeah. then it comes to mean like the core or heart of something and it's in right. all four of the other elements or it is the fifth element I mean, in it's, aristotle it's the yeah. fifth element okay yeah um uh -huh. but actually razi mm -hmm. has five elements too mm-hmm but they're not elements right so he also says there's these there's the heavens and they're made of something Mm -hmm. other than air, earth, fire, and water. But then he interprets all of these things as being just atomic compounds. Mm -hmm. And that's actually something that's quite characteristic of his physics. Uh, he tends to say that Aristotle's theory is correct, but superficial. So, for example, he thinks that underlying an Aristotelian elemental body, there's something that's more elemental still, which is mm -hmm. these atoms. And he thinks yeah. that Aristotle's theories of time and space are superficial in a similar way. It's kind of an interesting feature That's interesting, of his yeah. view. So he's a critic of Aristotle, whereas Farabi is an Aristotelian. Mm -hmm. But So anyway, I was going to say before that that's all the connection between alchemy, or maybe the possible connection mm -hmm. between alchemy and his physics. Then I think there's a connection between his alchemy and his medicine at the level of how he approaches the subject. What's really innovative about Razi's writings on alchemy is the way he writes about it. And a lot has been lost here, so the, the main thing we have access to is a work called Sir al-Asrar, which means the secret of secrets. Right, yep. And which is actually on the shelf right behind you. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, there are some other works of his. So he wrote a collection of alchemical treatises called The Twelve Books, 
mm-hmm. um, which mostly haven't been edited or translated, although there's there's some that one can read. And wh- what he does in The Secret of Secrets is he gives you a very systematic presentation of the substances that are involved in alchemy, mm-hmm. the procedures, the instruments, and so mm-hmm. on. So it's it's basically a systematization of the whole science. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot like what he did in medicine as well. Mm-hmm. So he has a work called The Book for Al-Mansur, Mansur mm-hmm. being one of his patrons, mm-hmm. where he lays out the entire medical theory that he gets from the ancients, and he divides it up into themes, and that mm-hmm. tells you everything you need to know about each theme. So it's basically like a one-stop shop for understanding ancient medicine. Mm-hmm. And there's another work uh, called the Hawi, which means comprehensive book. Mm-hmm. So the work that contains everything, yep. which is a collection of his notes and observations from his own medical practice and also quotations from ancient doctors. So it's like his his um, notebook, mm-hmm. effectively. And it's absolutely enormous. I mean, yeah. it's like a couple of dozen volumes long mm-hmm. in the modern edition. And it's interesting that he keeps referring back to ancient authors because we know another thing that he did in alchemical works was um, he wrote one of the 12 books was called The Book of Testimonies in which he just gave quotations of ancient authors and uh, like Greek authors and earlier authors in Arabic. Mm -hmm. And he was just saying, my alchemical theory is in agreement with these authorities so even though he has this kind of reputation for being unorthodox and a bit of a loose canon, he was interested in showing how his ideas could be kind of reconciled with mm-hmm. or based on that's interesting, these earlier yeah. thinkers. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I touched on in my, in my podcast is that he kind of crystallized all information that came before him, and that's why he was such a, a big influence later on. Yeah. But I didn't really realize he was so controversial in, in some ways. Yeah. So Actually, it's something that several people say about him. For example, the great Jewish philosopher Maimonides mm-hmm. and others say, effectively, great doctor, pity about the philosophy, mm-hmm. right? Because they think his philosophy is, is insane, but they think he's huh. a wonderful yeah. medical writer. Interesting, um, yeah. And incidentally, his work in medicine is quite comparable to Avicenna's in that they both wrote these highly systematic overviews of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, Avicenna wrote a work called the Kanun, or translated as canon sometimes, mm-hmm. which is uh, almost an encyclopedia yeah. of medicine. And that became the most frequently used textbook from the Arabic world in, uh, in the Latin tradition. And it really stands alongside Galen as one of their main sources mm-hmm. for thinking about medicine. Arazi, though, I think is superior to Avicenna in terms of bringing medical practice into the writings mm-hmm. that he devoted to the subject. He was obviously a very hardworking and committed doctor mm-hmm. and paid a lot of attention to what he was seeing. So he has a very kind of empirical frame of mind. Yeah. And one of the things he'll do in the Hawi, for example, is he'll tell you what he's read in Hippocrates or Galen, and then he'll say, say and here's what I saw. Mm-hmm. I treated this guy... And he had a stomachache, and we gave him this, and he got better. Yep. yep. And he'll just move on. So uh-huh. it's like a kind of collection of his case notes. Yeah, that was, that was kind of my impression is that he's someone that got his hands dirty and was writing about stuff that he experienced in the field versus mm-hmm. just following other people's textbooks. Right. Which... I think, and I think that's especially true in medicine. Mm-hmm. How true that is in alchemy, I'm not sure yet. But I think mm-hmm. I think he clearly was a practicing alchemist as well, just as he was a practicing doctor. I don't know yet at least how 
much he will kind of go into the alchemical tradition in the same way as he does in medicine and say, well, all these alchemists are telling you one thing, but now I'll tell you something else mm-hmm. because I've experienced something different. Um, but he certainly, the two things are similar in that he has a very systematic empirical frame of mind that he mm-hmm. brings to both subjects. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that struck me regarding alchemy or, or even just chemistry is that he, he kind of classified... Uh, like he has like the four spirits and the seven bodies, 13 stones, and he actually had these chemical compounds or these minerals that are found in nature, and he kind of classified them, cl- classified them much more thoroughly than mm-hmm. yeah. people that came before. And another thing is, um, I've never read his original works in Arabic, like like you may have, but, but it seems to me like if he's talking about um, gilding something or um, silvering something, it's just much more clear what he's doing so he's not trying to say uh, i'm going to create gold by really i'm just gilding it you know covering mm-hmm. it in gold or, or something but but he's actually very clear at what i'm doing so here's how you can make something look like gold and here's how you can make it look like what it was before mm-hmm. he's not saying i'm making gold or i'm you know it's just, he's just very kind of concrete about what he's doing and he's not a charlatan in any way in, in that regard and right that's yeah, it's yeah. pretty interesting and actually I mean, I think maybe the contrast isn't so much to charlatans as to alchemists who are being purposely difficult to understand. And that, yeah, exactly. He just, yep, he says exactly what he's doing. That's, right. you know. And you know. I, I mean, you, if you imagine, so someone like Jabir ibn Hayyan, who you've also covered mm-hmm. in the in your series, who may or may not have been a real person, mm-hmm. and we certainly don't think, or at least I don't think, that all his works were written, all his supposed works were written by one guy named Jabir ibn Hayyan. Mm-hmm. But his works tend to be characterized by this extreme reluctance to tell the reader what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, this is something that Farabi mentions too, actually, when he talks about alchemy. And f- for good reason, because as Farabi points out, and this may be a point you've mentioned at some point, in your series if it really became possible to synthesize gold the price would plummet right right so yeah. in a way it's self-defeating right mm-hmm. so Fodavi makes that point well that's why patrons would outlaw alchemists but then secretly have their own court alchemists yeah that's so, the best idea right yeah if it's possible only i want to be rich and not the yeah. i don't want to debase the gold right. that's why you haven't divulged to the listeners the secrets that's, of actually that's right Yep. you're keeping it to fund the podcast actually i recorded but i haven't published a episode on marie curie who's a little bit outside of my normal scope but i actually tell how to make gold really yeah but unfortunately it costs more to make the gold than to <laughs> but using particle accelerators and you know right. stay tuned for that listeners <laughs> that's right right so so anyway what i was going to say before is that if you compare Jabir to razi and it, mm-hmm. in fact it looks like there might be some uh use by razi of jabirian material Mm -hmm. there's probably a connection between them razi is very different in that he's just up front telling you here's the system right that's not saying that he like takes you step by step by the hand here's how you make gold Mm -hmm. but he's writing in a pedagogically designed Mm -hmm. way whereas jabber writes in an anti-pedagogical way Mm -hmm. right so he writes in a way that's designed for the person who already knows what they're doing Mm -hmm. And yep. who's set kind of textual challenges like Javid will, for example, take a single discussion, mm-hmm. break it up and scatter the parts of the discussion oh, okay. through yeah. the work, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have to kind of recombine it to that's figure out what's happening. Yeah. And that's the opposite of what Razi is doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that Razi's sort of training and whole bent of mind as a doctor 
is being expressed through the way that he writes about alchemy as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. That's all the questions I had. I know I talked about Al-Razi before, so our, my listeners can um, find that episode if they want to hear more. But obviously also Peter Adamson has done an episode on Al-Razi and uh, Al-Farabi also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And uh, something like 10 on Avicenna. So if, <laughs> if you want to hear more on that, um, make sure to also listen to his uh, The History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps podcast. And I'd like to thank you very much. Thanks. It was great being on. Yeah, thanks. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening.